0: Trap One to Windmill seven. Major Cosworth reading you loud and clear. Any results? Over. Hello and welcome to the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Conrad. I'm Colin. On this episode we'll be discussing the Blu-ray box set of Season 8, currently sold out, but as we now know these will be re-released in standard packaging. Uh, so this is great news for anyone that didn't get Holden the first time, I think. Um, there's so much... Brilliant material. Um, it's a shame if, if it's only limited to a certain number of viewers. Um, and it brings us in line, I think, with, with the USA, you just have standard editions. I don't think they get the deluxe ones, do they? Um, and these are going to be in print all year round. But I think the pattern is going to be we get the deluxe edition release and then sometime later the standard edition coming out. So, um, so, yeah, good news, I think. Very good news and bad
1: news for scalpers, as you're saying, which we love. Screw you, scalpers. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, the US ones, uh, like
0: they call it, like John Pertwee, season four. Yeah, uh, and it's like no, it's
2: the third Doctor Who. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully they're not going to go that far on the, uh, on, the, on, the <laughs> on the standard edition. Uh, yes, no, but it,
1: it is really good news because it was getting kind of odd for like a Saturday, like a really nice, well-priced, you know piece of merchandise that people just couldn't buy, you know, the demand's too high I'm like, dude, just release yeah. some more and let us buy them please, please let us give us your money for your excellent pro- products, it was quite odd, what do you make of that? I mean, I was thinking uh, I think Mark, we talked about this when we did 14,
2: I think it was season 14 that, that, that had sold out as well With the, this box set had sold out before the, the street day so they must be, they just must be having a a funny old time sort of for, trying to forecast mm. with ups and downs in sort of Netflix usage and iPlayer usage and BritBox, you know, sort of like a year of BritBox probably. So it's, you know, there's probably lots and lots of factors that, that are sort of in there. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, look, we had to get a friend of ours a, a, a spare copy. There's sort of all those sort of trades going on. and uh, uh, But it just, just doesn't feel like it's um, settled down yet?
0: No, it's crazy, isn't it? And, it? and it feels like the way things are going, this could be the last time these stories have a physical media release, couldn't it? You know, um, there isn't an option at the moment to get hold of these extras on on a download or anything, um, which again seems seems odd. Uh, you know, given that's the sort of the prevailing way that youngins, uh, you know, probably consume things now. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's odd to limit it in, in this country, but not in other countries as well. I think Australia and America, there, there is no scarcity, is there? Yeah, and we, we had the added complication this
1: time of zoom.co.uk going down the DVD distribution, not the uh, networking site. Um, <laughs> yes, that was really tricky because we were like, are they still... Open. They've t- they took our money. I think a month early. It was all getting very jittery. This felt like a particularly jittery release. And I think everyone after a year of lockdown is getting so hungry for Doctor Who that this was people were starting to get get cranky for this one. So well,
2: the, the whole value proposition for Zoom was, hey, we're owned by the studios and we hate other people breaking Street Day. Anyway, here's your Doctor Who three days early. You know, <laughs> so that's why everyone was was off doing that. Uh, but no, we're very lucky to have it.
0: And this yeah, is the longest, a, yeah. the longest gap, isn't it, between sets? It's been about a year since season 14 came out, so um, I guess there's maybe more of an appetite for that reason because we've been sort of starved of, of them for so sort of long. <laughs> uh, if, if people have caught up with the other collections and stuff, then it's um, another reason why maybe it's sold out before the release date.
2: Yeah. Did you, did you see that um, when they were talking about series season 19 coming out, I think Janet Fielding retweeted it and went, oh, yeah, there's some. Re- there's a really great road trip episode in this with me, Peter, and Sarah. And everyone was like, no, 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 Janet. That, that's that's season 20. Hold your horses. We know it's coming.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's great. People are, like, are able to get a hold of it. It'll just take a lot of that pressure off it and a lot of that scalping and a lot of all of that stuff. It's
0: mm.
1: it's only good news. The more people can get a hold of it because it's good stuff.
0: Definitely. And, and this is another... Brilliant release. We've got five fantastic poetry stories and a wealth of new. Well, hang on. Maybe
1: four. What? Maybe maybe three. <laughs> three and two halves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. <laughs> do, do that again. Man. Just come on. <laughs> they have four, five excellent stories.
0: There are no bad The two well. old men
1: and the muppet. You're being heckled by the
0: two <laughs> old men and the
1: muppets in the red corner.
0: Uh, <laughs> Uh, There are no bad Doctor Who stories. This is right and proper and true. So, uh, season opens with with Terror of the Autons, sequel to season seven's Spearhead from Space, um, and introduces Katie Manning as Joe Grant, Roger Delgado as the Master, and Richard Franklin as Captain Mike Yates. So it's got quite a bit to do, hasn't it? And I suppose bringing back a monster that people would already be familiar with—it's like what they did in Rose as well. So you uh, you're introducing new elements, Well, not that I suppose the Autumns would have been familiar to a huge number of people in 2005, but uh, it's something that's already proven, isn't it? I suppose is the as uh, the background to it. Yeah,
2: this is this is a good one. This is definitely a good one. Uh, I I don't I, you know I think the picture quality was slightly better obviously the, I think the CGI stuff is way better Either the, the stuff they fix um, with the creature plastic creature um, uh, and they did a, a good job with the soundtrack as well in 5.1 you sort of hear cars going behind you it's very sort of nice and a- atmospheric but it's a good one it um, you know brings in the sort of Bradford and Bingley Time Lords uh ham-fisted bun vendors uh and pert we
1: saying now listen to me so it's got everything <laughs> i love that you should you should pepper this podcast just with him going now, now listen to me now listen to, <laughs> to me <laughs> <laughs> Ever. just just before mark's bit so mark will just put it in before he's about to speak so we yeah. all listen to him no it's brilliant and it's and with this this whole box is i think because so much i think only three out of 26 Episodes actually exist in original transmission form. So, like, there's a, a lot of the work has clearly gone into the restoration. And, you know, especially things like Mind of Evil and stuff, just trying to patch these things up and make them look look good. So I think perhaps it's, um I think this might be a little, we're certainly always spoilt on these things for extras, but I think the emphasis feels like it's gone more on the restoration of this one. Um and they've they've, they've bulked it out with a lot of uh, you know sort of uh, alternative you know omnibus editions and all kinds of stuff. So they've given us everything, but it feels like a lot of the work has had to go into registration. And like you said, Mark, the the sound is fantastic. The point one sound, and Mark airs what he does on it. I noticed on this one when he goes to dissect the the troll doll, you could hear the scalpel going in and pulling, you know, sort of drawing down the thing and pulling out the stuff, and you could hear it in tiny details. So he's really cleaned it. Um, they've done a great job restoring this quite really difficult season film wise to try and restore it to something clean but they've done a really good job
0: yeah because i mean we're old enough to remember when you could only see these in black and white um i guess the first time i would assume it was on uk gold uh and they just had it was certain episodes of um terror of the autumns of black and white weren't they all of mine that evil was blacker uh, black and white so it's yeah so of take that for granted a little bit now already um I suppose since they colorized them for the VHS releases, wasn't it? Yeah, but it's, it's relatively recent um, that that they're in color, uh, and I think they say on the CGI elements they're very sensitively done, aren't they? They they don't stick out a mile um, in the way that some of the earlier CGI replacements do. Um, they're, they're quite subtle. You've got um, the famous kitchen, uh, Mrs. Fowl's kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which which stood she out more? can anything in her CSO kitchen, <laughs> and go anywhere. Yeah, you sort of just now don't notice it, whereas it, it stuck out for being such a bad piece of CSO oh. that that now that it's uh, it, it's it's been um, improved so much, you just don't you just don't notice that there's anything strange about it at all.
2: Well, she's off there now, flying around with um, uh, Clara and Maisie Williams, yes. uh, <laughs> bumping
1: into their TARDIS as well. That's right. Yeah, so that is Having common. CSO adventures. Oh my god, coming to Big Finish in about five minutes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I thought the new, the new visual effects are great. I, where where are you on visual effects? I tend to kind of with new ones, I tend to watch them once, and I always watch. Usually, when I rewatch the story with commentaries and notes and stuff, I'll then I'll then put on the effects, but I'll rarely go back to. I think when, when I just go on to put on the Autumn in the Future, I'll generally probably just put on the originals. But I thought ones they were really good in here, like you said, they were quite subtle. I think, unless I'm going mad, I think when um, the master unmasks in the bus, I think they did something, put a little effect in there to clean it. Um, I could be completely wrong, but... That's what I saw and I'm choosing to believe it. Um, they've just done sort of a little bit of cleaning things and, like, and especially stuff like the senior Time Lord appearing in midair and coming towards the camera. They've just done a clean on that and finding the little figure in the in the lunchbox. is just much cleaner yes. now and so that's, that's much better. better. Which they which they really fought to try and clean, clean up at the time yeah, you know, brilliantly, but yeah, they're, they're, good. they're great, the effects on this.
0: Yeah, it was, I think the same, I sort of watched them the first time out of curiosity to see what they've done. I'd probably watch the originals another time. If I was ever going to show them to somebody else, I've never seen before. <laughs> I'd probably yeah. um, put on the um, the uh, improved effects without them seeing first, and then say oh yeah, maybe was, for, uh...
1: maybe for Kinder, I think maybe yeah,
0: <laughs> maybe uh, yeah. Is... The, the troll doll part um, just just looks uh, fantastic as well.
1: Yeah, the, tro- the troll troll is really impressive uh, CGI. Also, is this the first? the first story where they start the greyhound to track one business
0: i think so yeah i don't think it's in season seven. Oh,
1: okay come on mark you should know should yeah know if it. anybody <laughs> so, so the first cause i think because i heard joe say it in, and quite early on i was like oh, this feels like the first one i might be wrong whatever it is i'm sure you'll find it at the start of this podcast <laughs> mark
0: will find it and- yeah because there's one uh, bit in um, and i think i think it's mind of evil where it's um Jupiter to Saturn or something, yeah. Uh, they have a totally different format. But even even elsewhere in that story, they have because um, they have windmill to travel on as well, which is the helicopter, isn't it? Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> that's one, yeah. They, um, just just as a total aside, uh, the the TV series of Supergirl, um, the uh, the organization that she works for in that is called the Department of Alien Affairs or something like that. Uh, they have used um, Greyhound call signs as well. And I, I assume as a as a homage. Oh, ah. oh, I've got right. an as Well, I know.
2: I'll first, go on. But, um, in a, it probably isn't a, a homage, but uh, I, I might ask the writers on Twitter. Um, in the Expanse, which is amazing, uh, as I keep going on about season five, um, one of the military guys asks, uh, whose name is Delgado, asks someone to sit in a black chair. <laughs> uh, mm. so hmm uh, you know that's that's the classic thing but yeah no this this is um uh, a terrific story classic it still has that because uh, for me the stuff that I really like watching the Pertwee era is uh the uh the woke politics I really like uh you know the kind of plastic is killing the world you know and that that's there from the start it really is uh um, so, and there's lots of you know, you know some of them have it, some of them don't have it. um but th- this one I thought was you know it, it's not a hidden message, but it's not too much in your face. Yeah, so
0: yeah, and plastic was kind of in its infancy as well, wasn't it that? That was why they used it as the the strange thing that was suddenly in everybody's houses. Um, there must have been a recognition even that early on, I guess from ecologists that it had the potential to to cause a great deal of harm. Yeah,
1: there's a good um, extra on this because obviously you you get all the new special features that we all like lunge to but there's a lot of really, really good existing uh, documentaries done for the DVD range which are well worth revisiting there's the plastic one on that which like you said has got a history of plastics on it which is actually really interesting I do like it sets up this the classic
2: master trope of the master has an evil plan all the way through right until it it's <laughs> screws up uh, and they have to combine forces I mean it's just it's just
1: all the way through the whole thing yeah Terence Dix holds his hands up on that going yeah, yeah. I think we didn't really think that through like at the end he just goes oh yeah you're right you know yeah. and speaking of masters and um, the behind the sofa uh, oh the, yes extras which go away go all the way to this what do we make of those just yes. fantastic yeah. yeah. I love that Janet Fielding's on Stories and Seasons that so she's got absolutely nothing yeah. to do with just because she's oh. Janet Fielding. I love that. She should just comment on all TV I watch.
2: <laughs> 100%. Uh, completely. she should just be sitting there going, what is this? I hate this. It's like, <laughs> what, what was the other thing? It's like, um, something to do with her car or something. Do you remember that? Or was they're saying something like... Oh, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, uh, you, uh, and Sarah's like, you don't even like my car or the other way around. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh...
0: Yeah, they, they, she must have given her a lift, and she said, I don't like this car, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> never never backwards and coming forwards. There's yeah. a good there's a good guest for you, Mark. That would be a trap one I'd like to see. Mark no. versus <laughs> Janet Fielding. Janet, if you're out there, there's a podcast you for you. Um, but, also, but also, seeing um, Angelina Mahindra and Sasha Dewan, that was a, and then a delight. I mean, they're just they so adorable, you won't smack them. They're just <laughs> beautiful. If you're not in love with... Either both of them, there's something wrong with you. They're just so so great. But like, it was really nice to have like a young sort of perspective from it. It's nice to have perspectives from people who've both worked in Doctor Who in various sort of forms. And of course, most fascinating, watching Sasha Dhawan watch Roger Delgado. Um, that was a it, it, you couldn't help. Because I sound like uh, Sex and City. I couldn't help but wonder.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> but like, is this going to affect? is this going to go on on some level how he plays the master how he thinks of the master I mean it's hard to believe that won't be in an influence in some way because even when he first saw him he's just like wow he's so still and, and you know he says very honestly he goes oh, my, my, doctor, my master is much more chaotic and I love the chaos of it and so he's going to always go with that but it would be interesting to see it would be hard to imagine not watching five Delgado stories in a row when you're playing that part and not Either playing against, still taking some of it on. What do you think? I, I found that really yeah. fascinating watching him watch Delgado.
0: I really like that element of it um, because all the sort of the new series masters have been quite manic, haven't they? When we've had Michelle Gomez and John Sim, and they they've played it very very big. Mm. Um, I think John Sim, when he came back for World Enough in Time, um, played it quite differently. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it would be interesting to see if, if it does affect Sasha Uh But, yeah, really interesting from from that point of view of somebody who's played the part. For, for, yeah. for Angie, the fact I hadn't really thought about it until she started talking, that she's worked with Katie Manning and uh, Nicholas Courtney. <laughs> I hadn't even made that connection. Yeah, so yeah. She's, she's got an amazing perspective on it like that.
1: Yeah, she's, she's sort of become part of who royalty now It's like, oh, she yeah, is. you've become some some actors just come in and they really so you can tell the ones that come in, do it and then go away again. And then you kind of you get those few that come in and stay and are part of the family. And definitely Anjali Mahindra and Sasha Dewan, because of he did Adventures in Space and Time, they feel like Doctor Who family now. Um, it's always nice when cool real people come and join us it's really nice (laughs) it makes us feel a little bit more normal I couldn't agree more I think the I think
2: the box set is worth it for those two alone Mm. Uh, it's a bit of a bold statement but I I think it's uh, I mean I love the whole behind the sofa with all of them I think it's just a genius idea uh, but particularly uh, them and I hope they come back for some you know, Anthony Ainley's or mm. some 4K HDR Dolby Atmos version of the <laughs> Missy era, you know? Uh,
1: so... Uh, <laughs> Actually, that's a really good point. Um, Sasha Dwan being on an Ainley one is a must. Like, well, they've kind of got to do that. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's it's, it's it's in his contract now, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but no,
2: he'll just turn up on set um, and the next season just be <laughs> really playing the master really somberly and um, Chris Chippen will be like we are never lending you
1: we're never letting you see any more yeah, you have been watching that old Doctor Who thing? there we warned you not to watch it it's shit and then he goes oh, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best Amy laugh I've heard in a long time well,
0: oh, oh, the, oh. Thing, the other thing is they pick up on the fact that in in the current iteration of Doctor Who they say master uh, instead of master because Geordie Whittaker and Sasha Dwan I both pronounce it that way, which is something I noticed in Spyfall because it's the way I say it. So um, yeah. it was uh, this northification of Dr. Who <laughs> is uh, is to be applauded, definitely.
2: When will the madness end?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's uh, it's
2: more and more. It's you've, We've seen them filming in Liverpool this week and uh, um, I, I love that. They're just taking all these, you know, it's a, it's a tour of the UK.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Can I just pick out a moment, that I absolutely, a couple of moments I absolutely love about Toe of the Autons um, the, just, It's the details There's a moment in, that t- tells you everything about John Pertwee's performance in episode three where he goes to crack, uh, try and crack open the safe and before he does it, he sort of does something with his hands. He does about five different gestures with his hands that means I'm about to open a safe. He sort of <laughs> blows in his hands. Rub- no, not those hand gestures, Colin. Stop it. <laughs> um, no, he kind of rubs his hands together, blows in his hands, flexes his fingers, sort of cracks his knuckles and then sort of wipes them on his, his velvet chair and then does it. Watch that moment. If you ever okay. see it again, just, just watching him prepare to do that. The flourish and the flair that this man has got is why we love him. I love moments like that. It's just like nobody else would do that. He just does it and everything's just like, it's great. You know, we're here to see John Poe and he's he's brilliant. He is. Um, the other thing I noticed is there's a, there's a familiar sort
2: of cycle of the dialogue and it is Joe says something, the doctor disagrees with it, Joe says it again, and the doctor listens. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but I didn't know that. That's, that's brilliant.
2: I, I, I don't have any examples.
1: So that's just what I've written down. That, that sounds exactly right. Now you say it, that sounds exactly
0: right. So, and Roger legado is brilliant, as as, as uh, Sacha Devan points out. The he meet, just gets the role absolutely perfectly right from the off. Yeah. The suaveness, uh, the wit, um, the the bit in when after the he's talking about the guy who's been killed by the plastic chair, and he says he just sat there. And slipped away, and it's uh, <laughs> really yeah. fabulous. Yeah, um, and him and Pertwee together, every time they're on, on screen, together, they're they're absolutely perfect. Uh, both just being sort of suave and unruffled most of the time. Uh, it's uh, it's yeah, two fantastic performances.
1: overall right, so all more, more than one. Like Pertwee's very ruffled. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in his appearance, but yes, no, no, very. It's yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, I mean find a better villain in doctor who you won't
0: and the doctor's always um yeah. courteous to the master in a way that he isn't always to the brigadier or joe or anybody else. <laughs> yeah um even when they're having a face off they're they're always invariably polite to each other which i really like as well yeah so their next meeting is in the mind of evil
2: Especially porridge uh, in the Peru <laughs> era. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of prisons going on in the Peru era. I think there's is there the Sea Devils one as well, isn't there? Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, they're all.
1: I mean, frontier in space, prisons up the wazoo. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> <excellent Yeah>. prisons, <laughs> prisons and telephones. You know, you're in the Peru <laughs> era because everything happens on the phone, and we love it.
0: This is the most kind of gritty prison. though, It's a real prison, and the 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 rioting and the this, this to me, feels most season seven as well, um, that it, it could fit into season seven in the grittiness. There's so many people just shot, like not like with a, with a laser or uh, no sci-fi deaths, anything like that. People are just gunned down en masse, uh, prison guards, prisoners, soldiers. Gives it a much grittier edge than I think any of the other stories in this season. Now, you like
1: a bit of Bond, so this is kind of, is this more your, do you like a bit of that? So it's quite a boysy story, if I don't... If, sorry, that's a terribly old-fashioned thing to say, but it, it, this would have been literally like a boys own story from the 40s and 50s. You know, it feels very...
0: Yeah, I don't know if it feels right for Doctor Who, but it, I, I suppose you wouldn't notice it if it wasn't in Season 8. If it was in Season 7, it was right. part of it. In Season 8, where... You, it's the, the axons kind of zapping people and things like that. Maybe it's, uh, or, you know, a bit more kind of sci fi deaths.
1: I, yeah, I, I looked fun. up what Don Horton had done. Obviously, he's done Inferno, which is, like, not a favorite of mine as well, because it's quite, there's not a lot of humor in it and it's quite serious and, and again, quite. And now, listen
2: me, Conrad, no, now listen we're to
1: we're me, Conrad. Now, me Yeah, I, I, I don't. Yeah let's not go. Inferno that's a whole other story which I'll not be uh, talking about but like he, you know he also did like Hammer Horror and Sapphire and Steel so he has got a lot of weird fantasy credentials but this feels like someone who doesn't quite want to write a Doctor Who story in fact in the first draft the Keller machine wasn't an alien they had to come and say oh no this is Doctor who. you've got to put an alien in it and to me that's kind of the key to the whole story because I was like oh that's why it doesn't quite feel like it I don't think he's that he, he, he's just more interested in telling an earth based action Um, type story so to me it doesn't it does I did feel a bit like why don't I quite love this and it's 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 more action adventure and not quite Doctor Who and the addition of the alien monster does give it much more puts more in my kind of wheelhouse really I think it had um, I mean it suffers
2: by being I mean how many (laughs) is it like 14 parts I I can't remember it's (laughs) uh, does two cliffhangers where we sort of um sort of faces distorting in front of the camera with fire or something like this, two almost identical cliffhangers. So I, I just, I didn't tune out on this one, um, give it a couple of stories, but, um, it, enjoy it, it's, it's enjoyable. And that like giant missile at the end and, uh, helicopters and stuff. Terrific. You know, it really is, um, uh, you know, a, a good one. But, I mean, it was good to see Roger Delgado out sort of installing some broadband, uh, putting <laughs> a cigar, um, you, you know, sitting in a car like a Bond villain. It's oh. That was just worth it. I think it must be Michael Sheard's, like, 2000s appearance on Doctor Who. And he's so good. He's so good. He's so different. He's such a great, as they say, character actor. Um, like, he, he, he's so soft and gentle in this. Um, and... Uh, he's uh, uh, I've just I've just watched this clip I don't know if we sent it around but of him him in the broom cupboard with Andy not uh, with the children's BBC presenter just sort of t- telling everyone uh, in character as Mr Bronson
1: absolutely <coughs> terrifying <laughs> uh, Andy Crane Andy it's, Crane it's just I'm lodging my mind oh my god I have to find that clip okay we'll, we'll,
0: we'll
1: we love that yeah far. he's brilliant Michael it's yeah, good we'll yep.
0: put it in the show notes Yeah, he's a a very sympathetic character, isn't he? Uh, No, it just reminded me there what you said about Bond villains is when the master's in the governor's office and the doctor's brought in and the master's waiting to spin round on his chair. (laughs) as the big reveal. And the doctor just goes, well, I thought as much. And the disappointment on the master's face that (laughs) that he hasn't shocked him is brilliant.
1: His big reveal. Oh my God, they're so good together in that scene. I love it. It, also, Also, just the look of, I think, I mean... Delgado in, like, suit, that beard, cigar, limo, leather gloves. It's, like, just heaven. The most archetypal, fabulous villain ever. God, James James Bond really missed out not having him as a main Mm -hmm. villain. Mm -hmm. It's kind of, like, almost surprising. Do you know what I mean? It's just, like, how they wouldn't have him as a, at least a, you know. Anyway, we got him, so,
0: (laughs) ha. But does he? Because he died fairly young as well. You know, if um, yeah, you know, had he lived a bit longer, he could have uh, could have had that kind of career. Yeah, yeah.
1: but yeah, it's, it's it's funny this story. It, it is written slightly like it's. It, it's not written for this team. Um Katie's Katie's very, very good in this. Like she has to play much more serious Joe, much more serious. And she does it really well. So she adapts the material like super well. But you can tell it's not quite written for them. It's just something it's um it's like I think the either the writer or director whoever wants to kind of do, go for something a bit more, s- more serious in Big Convention and it's on Earth, so I think they're trying to work they're still trying to work out how do we set Doctor Who this with Kooky space stuff, how do we root this in? So maybe perhaps they're maybe just pushing a bit too much on that pedal to try and make it real and gritty, and maybe this sort of stuff. But also, even like with Barnum, the character getting run mm-hmm. over by at the end, I was like, that's harsh. It's a
0: cruel twist, uh,
1: that, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and you almost feel like in a, in a normal Doctor Who story, the moment where they realise that, that that poor victim of it is the very key that can, his, his, his now goodness or lack of evil can now actually block out that machine and backfire it. That would have been the moment you know, of the climax, I think, maybe, or, or, or they realize it and then they bring him out to do it. And it would have been the big moment. But to bump him off like that felt, I was like, I don't know, that felt really harsh. And I was like, it's quite, blo- there's, 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 I don't know, the key things, uh, there's Major Cosgrove running around, they're trying to do something with an underground tunnel, and he goes up to the brigadier and he says, it's almost like making a film, isn't it, sir? <laughs> and I was like, that sort of feels like what this story's like, but <laughs> like the director and writers are like, this is quite cool, it's like writing, making a film, you know, so it's fabulous, but it just doesn't feel quite as Doctor who to me.
0: Yeah, um, I think I think with uh, with, with Barnaby, you feel sorry for him throughout because the the baddies have got no time for him, um, and the goodies, you know, the way that the Brigadier sort of looks at him, like who is this guy? There's um, only Joe shows him any, uh, and Doctor Summers, I think, shows any sort of uh, sympathy or, or you know got any time for him. Um, so he's quite it's quite sort of uncomfortable throughout, and then just for him to be uh, to be ceremoniously killed off is. Uh, yeah it, it just seems like a final act of cruelty isn't it but the yeah, the, the it's, seriousness of it the the point when the doctor one of his heart stops um and then the master trying to furiously trying to bring him back around and things that's um that's quite a hard-hitting scene as well isn't it yeah
1: and this machine is an alternative to the noose you know like stuff is this real <laughs> stuff in, yeah. you know all, all the all the banging that the prisoners are doing I mean, that's what they used to do and they would hang it or kill a prisoner they would all do that and it's like it's very very you know there's no reason Doctor Who it's, it's a really good Doctor Who story it's really, but it's it's just pushing it in, it's just pushing the format as this programme always yeah. does I guess
0: all that banging's really loud on the soundtrack as well like it, 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 it's, it's always like been hard to kind of deal with that yeah I um, mean that's deliberate to, to make it unsettling but it, it yeah it's really <laughs> you keep turning it down every time they're doing it <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right Yeah, you have no neighbours by the end of it yeah <laughs> I think the
2: most disturbing thing is just that room covered in 70s cyan coloured bathroom tiles. <laughs> I mean, it just gets me. It's just the light blue everywhere in the tiles and blah. Um, but no, I, I, again, it's a really interesting concept. It's quite Star Trekky, isn't it? There was there was a my I can't remember what it's called. The one where Tashiyar dies, uh, where there's this massive oil slick and it's taken all the ba- all the bad stuff from everyone and they've all been left happy and all this stuff but all their dark thoughts and everything are just in this horrible oil slick thing Um, it's a similar type of concept it's like um, uh, you know um, yeah just let Pretty Patel have all the
1: technology we'll be fine well mind of evil there we are. Actually, that's, there we yeah, mind, that really is. That's the most evil mind I can possibly think of. Yes, actually, there's um, a quote quote from her on the back of the box Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> actually, well, having said all, it, it's all very gritty and very whatever. You do get a flurry of monsters in, you know, everyone's worst fear moment. And because I love monsters and I will do anything for to be a monster two story, I wrote a list of what they are. <laughs> um, so I love, very happy as a Dalek, Cyberman, Ice Warrior, Ice Lord. Basically, they had to show pictures of any monster they had for which they had a clean, full size, shot, full-length photo. So you start off with your classics, Dalek, Simon, Ice Warrior, and then you get down to some ones that just happened to have got full publicity. A War Machine, a Zarbi, <laughs> uh, and a Silurian. If this had been in the 80s, you'd, the Candyman would have been in there. Those lovely full-length shots, Mark would have been happy. Brilliant. But there were three that didn't make the cut. Um, the writer, Don Horton, had put in a Primord. He wanted a Primord as one of the <laughs> biggest things. That would have got cut. Just, in fact it did get cut just because it's a shit idea because primal's a shit and inferno is shit um, but <laughs> looks, I'm getting looks here but um, they also had a full length picture of a slither an, and a sensorite but it didn't make the cut there we go, what a shame so that's what I enjoyed about this story
0: Because he put the fire in, didn't he, as the the Doctor's biggest fear from from Inferno. (laughs) The most
1: terrifying adventure Doctor he's ever had was my adventure. (laughs) You may remember
0: Inferno. (laughs) Uh, The last thing I was going to say, my favourite bit is the brigadier undercover as the delivery man at the prison with his uh, cockney accent uh, and his flat cap. Glorious. (laughs) Glorious. And it ends with uh, the master leaving Earth and saying he won't. Uh, the doctor saying he won't be around for quite some time, uh, as though to try and throw the viewers off <laughs> the idea that um, yeah. he's going to appear again. But he does in the clause of Axos. Which one of my favourite things about the Close of Axos is that it isn't the master's plan. He's just there, um, a bit like the world enough in time. Uh, sorry, world world enough in time. <coughs> Uh, so it's like the, the the story doesn't rest on him so he can just kind of kick back and have fun and we get this glimpse of what it would have been like if he'd been forced to work with UNIT as a scientific advisor, if he'd been exiled to Earth and um, yeah, they're my favourite scenes in uh, Closed mm-hmm. Uh He's great with the Brigadier.
2: Well, we also got to see Pandemic Hairstyles 50 years before they happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but... Uh, uh, no, that's an interesting point. It's like, I mean, it feels like in the next couple of stories, the master is slightly sidelined, thankfully. Because the next one, he just shows up and goes, oh, I am a court official or something. Uh, and I've just come to sort of fuck shit up for you. But uh, that's about it. Anyway, you know, um, I like I like the Clause of Axos a lot. Mm. And it, uh, it's another kind of... Atmospheric, filmed by a kind of power station-type thing, which is lovely. And it basically invents Farscape
0: 20 years early. Um oh, the organic of, space, is it?
2: Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. And it, they they look they don't look too dissimilar. Um, so... Uh, but I'm just... Uh, the the problem I do have with this story, it's not a really serious one, is that the particle accelerator is like a, a massive b- shower with... Bubble bath coming out of it, not a giant ring around Geneva. Uh, so I don't know how they manage that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Um, I think is this is it Bob Baker and Dave Martin's first story? Yeah, yeah. Because they're they're an interesting bunch, and and yeah, um, I, I like it. They, they sort of they they bring tons of ideas. They're more about the ideas and the execution. I think it's to safe to say. And they're here. They were inexperienced experience. So fair play. Um, but I always kind of – you kind of can't kind of like it because they turn up full of – somehow their mad energy and ideas kind of always translate. The, the word I would use to describe those two is scrappy, as in they're kind of ready for, like, fighting fit and ready for a bit of action. But the execution is always a bit patchy, you know what I mean? So, they, so you end up with lots of, like, this scene was hastily written and put in because of this. So you feel like there's a lot of – it has to be patched to get a lot of work needs to be done on it to try and get it into shape. Luckily, there's a good script editor on board. Um, but I, I kind of lo- I kind of love all the mad energy. And, and it goes really well into stuff like the organic spaceship. It's a brilliant, brilliant mm-hmm. idea. And I saw somewhere, so I'm, I'm sorry, I can't quite remember where, but someone said that there was an idea either in a novelization or an original draft or some visualisation of it where the, this organic ship was there, another ship would go past, and then the the, head, the, the head of the ship would turn round to look at the, this object that was passing. So this, this organic ship could right. actually move. And I love the fact you can see it breathing. Like, it's beautiful. Um, I, love, I think it looks great. I love to see it, like the half-buried uh, thing that mouth of the ship they, they, um, they've built is fantastic. Um, I love inside the ship, all those millions of layers of set and foam and gunk and all those different... It's like, you're often looking at a picture that's about six layers deep um i love all that all that stuff in the spaceship it's worth saying this um this season is my birth year um so i feel like some of this is in the ether i think i was born after episode two of, of terror of the autumns there you go. but um but no i, I, I and i think the axons are all well realized so i think they're mad ideas kind of broadly
0: speaking do kind of manage to make it make it to the screen yeah definitely Visually, it's it's the most arresting of of the season, isn't it? Um, I think the thing you are talking about the organic spaceship there, Conrad, is from the Doctor Who magazine comic strip sequel. Ah, thank you. Um, that uh, yeah, the, the, the ships sort of turn and, and look at something else in space. Um, but yeah, the, all the organic stuff is is really good, and so it gets revisited later on with Terra the Zygons and things as well, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it's very a good much. Idea. And obviously the Autons, uh, not, not the Autons, the Axons. Uh, get reused as well as the crinoids, which is another sort of uh, uh, vegetable-y sort of uh, monster.
1: Yeah, they're good, they're good monsters as well. I think they're really good. They look great. And um, they um, the, the way that's a sting, that tentacle sting comes out of them, it's, it's brilliant. The only one that's slightly dodgy is when it's in some sort of globby form on the floor and it's basically a bloke rolling around in, the, in sort of orange chamois leather, which I wonder is that the same material they used for the... Sorry, bollock monster from uh, <laughs> Frontier in Space. I'm not sure. It looked a bit like that.
0: Could, could still have been lying around, couldn't it?
1: Also, it's just, it's just very, very 70s. And I have to I love it. Um, Paul Grist, who plays uh, Bill Filer, is going for um, one of my most. He, he gets, He's in my top three of strenuous machismo performances in <laughs> Doctor Who. In the 70s, I was certainly a breed of medallion man. And the way he talks, he's putting on this American accent. It's like, it's too quiet. They're like a couple of bloodhounds. And he's like, hey, I'm Bill Filer. <laughs> also, known. also known as Phoenix Leiter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's just so. And even somehow, like, and he does, I love it. He does, he's such a macho man that even, he can't even sleep without giving out lots of exposition. So he does that loving in bed going, must stop distribution, must not <laughs> distribute, axonite, got to give exposition even when I'm asleep because I'm a man in the 70s. He's like, um, he's up there with Greg from Inferno, Vile Greg and Petra, um, and uh, Adam Colby from Fendal, who's always bursting into rooms, going fear. There's just a certain type of seventies man, and, and and even like even when he's in, in the hospital, he somehow manages to get his pajama pajamas unbuttoned to reveal chest and medallion. It's like, dude, give it a rest.
0: Bill Feiler, yeah, love him. Brilliant, very seventies. <laughs> And then there's more seventies hairstyles in uh, Colony in Space. Obviously, oh, going to come back around for the twenty-first oh, century.
1: God. <laughs> Deep breaths, everybody. Colony in Space. Colin, we saw you suffering <laughs> vocally on Twitter with your rewatch. Oh, with this. What's your problem, man? What's
2: your problem? Um, well, I don't know. Maybe that it's six episodes of I don't know. Uh, no, I did. I started a Pertwee rewatch on BritBox. About six months ago, thinking, right, I'm going to do this. And this is where I stopped. So I'd never seen episodes two to six again. Uh, I mean, I just I just look at my notes. I just don't – I mean, I've got Gail from Corrie, Barry from EastEnders. Uh, that's it. Uh, wow. Wow. Uh, The TARDIS wall has wallpaper, actual wallpaper. (laughs) Um, Cliffhanger's Cliffhanger's episode one is the same as two. Um, No, I mean, I don't, don't like, I'm not opposed to it. I don't hugely dislike it. I just think, I don't know, I'd never seen this before. And so all the way through. And so I hadn't really had that, um, any nostalgia. About it or any kind of rewatching in the past and sort of going back to it. I was just like, no, just didn't do it for me.
0: Mm, Mark, I I, resign. I really like episode one. I love the fact we get to see the Time Lords um, who are, you know, kind of monitoring the situation and and moving the doctor around like a pawn. I love that Jo hasn't even been in the TARDIS um, up to this (laughs) point, that this is her fourth story. And we get to see um, the, the, the sort of TARDIS reveal from a character that we already know quite well. Um, and, and this is why I, I never normally watch, um, other than with these Blu-ray box sets, is when I watch all the stories in sequence. I never really have done like a watch through right from the start or anything. And I've always really enjoyed that bit that she shows that fear at, at just unexpectedly leaving the earth, um, at, at find herself on an alien planet. But then watching it this time, I thought, what did she think was going on at the end of the Clause of Axos when the Doctor was um, threatening to leave the Earth? Because in this one, she's like, well, all that was true about traveling in space and time. You know, What did she think when he was talking about meeting Sir Walter Raleigh in um, The Mind of Evil? Was she just humoring him like she thought he was mental? Um, it's uh, yeah so it kind of doesn't make as much sense in context as, as when I've just watched it in the past and thought oh that's such a good scene it's such a good performance it, it doesn't make an awful lot of sense in the context of the rest of the season unfortunately
1: yeah she says something like oh it's just a bit of a fun it's just a bit of a game isn't it and yeah. that's what she <laughs> says it's like oh, okay yeah but you're right they do have to because they've been on earth for so long They've got, they kind of, it basically feels like a Hartnell story again. They've got to do that whole, look, we're taking off. Don't open the doors. We don't know what the, whether we can breathe or not. And like, let's not go too far from the TARDIS. We've got to get back then. it feels they've got, they sort of go through all that again, which is, which is, which is fine. But like, it's, it's weird. Like you said, you've got, I think it actually opens before that Time Lord scene. There's a shot through space to a planet. Is that Gallifrey then? because it it starts in space and it goes towards I think it goes towards a planet and then it cuts to Time Lords
0: yeah I guess Uh, it must be
1: uh, unless it's that they're looking at we're getting a little preview shot of the planet of Auxerius or whatever first shot of Gallifrey maybe don't know but it feels like this when you put it on paper if you you said to me like okay here's um, a Doctor Who story it's got in it perhaps Gallifrey but like Time Lords (laughs) three different sorts of aliens, killer robots, Roger Delgado in his TARDIS, and you get to go in the Master's TARDIS, and it's a rocket. Um, It's just like this... You go, look, this is (laughs) Yeah, you're clearly like, this is clearly going to be the best Doctor Who story ever. What, in Pertwee and Joe Grant? This is going to be great. Why doesn't it... It has all of those things, Mm. so why is it um, sort of... to Just kind of quite... Flat, I don't know, what is it? Perfunctory at best. Perfunctory, wow. Oh ouch.
0: Yeah, it's Mark <laughs> Hulk, isn't it? And the novelization which <laughs> yeah. uh, I read uh, the the Demsay weapon before I saw the story, is he's, he's really good as well. Um, yeah.
1: It seems like he's quite interested in the whole thing with the miners and the colonists. And it's called Colony in Space I don't know about you I'm not interested in colonists like with Doctor Who I'm not turning up to see lots of happy content humans or, people, or just lots of humans anyway <laughs> you know I kind of is, is it really like Terry the Autons Claws of Axos and Demons all definitely feel like Doctor Who Mind of Evil and Colony in Space sort of feel like something with Doctor Who laid across the top of it and um, that's really I, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I think he was just very in. I, th- I guess, and also there is like loads of bloody colonists. We're into lots of details about the mining corporation. There is loads of. There is even loads of extras. Millions of cast. Just lots and lots and lots of bloody people. Um, and I, it doesn't. I thought maybe if if it was a bit tighter, like the colonists were just like a really few few mm. of them struggling. Um, yeah. Or, or maybe like if it, if it, if the different locations or different aspects of the story was sort of just made different. Like if the colony looked really like westerny and then the like a western and then the mining stuff was super spacey and then and the primitive stuff was like really really location and cavesy but a lot of the design carries across all three of them this is they in this story the designer has discovered colored brightly colored perspex in the back of the time so you get these certain scenes with this like a little pattern of like really brightly kind of sort of stained glass but with perspex it's in the time lords thing the primitive city the colonist city the master's tardis is all decorating exactly the same thing there's just some and I, I don't know that little detail to make me go that's what the, my problem is with this is that it all the story feels generic it's literally a western genre and the production feels generalized it just feels a bit sort of it all blurs together a bit somehow which is such a shame because the elements are all there and what does the master show up to do? Get the
0: doomsday weapon. Really get the doomsday weapon, is it? Yeah, he wants the doomsday weapon so he can hold the universe to ransom again. Not possibly for the first time, actually, in this one. But I love the vehicles look great. Are they the Swedish military or something, I think? we will only want the extras. I think they look really cool because they, they don't look like anything else that you would see. They look like maybe technology oh, yeah. you'd have on a, an alien planet. Yeah. And I like that it gives it a sense of scale that they have to drive from place to place. It's not like um, a settlement that they arrive in and everything's just there. I like the element of it. The location, uh, although it is um, a quarry, looks big and impressive and epic and and uh, you know like the surface of an alien world, which... You know, you can believe that the the crops are struggling and things like that because it's it's so barren looking. Uh, I like those elements to it. Yeah,
1: they they work those halflinger trucks or whatever. They work. They just mm. they use those like constantly. They clearly loved them, and they always went to Cornwall to get a bigger. They deliberately wanted a bigger quarry. So you can. It's amazing. You can the sort of stuff that would normally be sort of. Added it afterwards in the background. The big sort of vistas you can actually see, kind of huge, Whatever's, But it's a lot of quarry. It's a, it's just a lot of quarry. I don't know.
0: I'm trying to be really. It's not not a great story for Jo when she uh, she accidentally triggers the um, the alarm thing in the master t- star. <laughs> doesn't she. She sort of like uh, backs into it or something, and uh, <laughs> having just been told about it. <laughs> it's clearly a
1: Time Lord thing Is it's how to booby trap your TARDIS it's got to be gas the Rani does the same in Mark of the Rani yeah. she says it's a gas trap for that it's obviously a Time Lord thing but I, I like the fact it was a reference to like he goes oh I've still got the keys, the key of the Master's TARDIS do you remember there's a little thing from *Terror of the Autons and they're always whipping out like the dematerialisation circuit this season so yeah. you can feel as not you know Terence and Barry you can feel their so there's some continuity in this in this series
0: yeah those bits yeah who's got the demater- he's who's got which dematerialization circuit um, carries through and um, better than like I was saying the the idea that Joel didn't believe that they've got in time and space for yeah. this story
1: that, that um, kind of makes you more question her really doesn't it because yeah. you go, what were you thinking <laughs> okay, he might be potty but what you were going along with it so what's your, so what's your game <laughs> But this, is, but this is, it is, but it's quite. They also, to, um, to be to their credit, they are all taking it incredibly seriously. Bernard Kay is doing proper acting, like proper acting alert. Yeah, he's doing. He's really. There's nuance in it. There's all this. Like he's brilliant, properly brilliant in this, um, and it is very serious. And there's even a bit of drunk acting at one point. When all the all the evil miners are sitting there going ha ha ha, A mining corporation, they're sitting there having they're drinking red wine and getting and they're all playing it slightly sozzled and he's like,
0: <laughs> wow, this is. It's nice to get some shades of grey like that, isn't it? That it's not just um, the, the good guys and the bad guys. You got, you say Bernard Kay's character is conflicted, um, and um, he he plays it really well when he learns from the Doctor that those two colonists have died. Yes. He says, oh, yeah. at least nobody was, was hurt. Uh, he says, what well, well, makes you think that? They were killed. It's, it's a really good scene for him. Yeah, and you, can, you well. can
1: just see it in his eyes. It's mm. just really super subtle. He's doing, he's doing actual proper acting, lads. Yeah. Maybe I had the license for that. Um, one thing I didn't understand, um, why does the Guardian blo- decide to blow up everything up at the end just because the Doctor Master have turned up? I didn't quite get it. You know, at the end. At the end, because the, first he's like, "You will leave this city, and if you ever come back, I will kill you." And so, so, and then the doctor comes back with the master, and he says, "This master, well, he was trying to steal it." And the guardian goes, "That's it, that's it. I'm blowing everything up." You're like, "Okay." I, I, I There's probably a really good explanation. I just, I didn't get it.
0: No, nope. I think I always just thought, yeah, just thought nobody could get their hands on it. I think. Okay. But then why not do that in the first place?
1: I yeah, it's I don't anyone, I don't want anyone to break into my house, but I'm not going to burn it down.
0: <laughs> so self destruct sequences are quite a science fiction thing, aren't they? yeah, they, uh, they are. They don't happen in much else. Bond movies, I suppose. It's the other, <laughs> the other big market for the uh, manufacturers of self destruct <laughs> mechanisms. <laughs> I imagine you know those people, Mark. I don't know why. Yeah. <laughs> It's like an optional extra that you can, uh, you can get with your base, Would you like the optional self destruct? <laughs> <laughs> Comes with a, a great big button or a lever, whichever one you want. And then the season is rounded out with the demons.
1: Wow, right, well, from, from going, story, going from a story which can't quite hang the elements together, this is the complete opposite. This is something where one of them one of the most perfect times of elements coming together in Doctor Who
0: ever, isn't it? Brilliant. Yeah. Because this, yeah. this is Barry Letts directing, isn't it? Um, yeah. And co-writing uh, as well as producing. So it's like uh, his, his kind of vision for, for Doctor Who, you know, as clear as you can get it, I guess.
2: I really like it. I think it's, um, it does a really good job of kind of going a little bit kind of 70s horror movie, Omen style Premonition, you know, uh, like trees falling over in front of Bessie. Like there's some, you know, genuine evil going on. But um, I think you'll find it's science, my dear, uh, <laughs> uh, which which is the constant theme, and I, I I love that. But I think it's um, it's well built up. The monsters are great. Uh, Shouty Azala is pretty good. Uh, the 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 whole concept of the. BBC outside broadcast is is a lot of fun uh, and this it's tight it's a tight group of characters it's not like colony of space as you were saying it's like you know person at the bar number 400 uh, we, you know you've just there are distinct different people um, with a role to play um, but uh, uh, yeah no it, it is it, it was one of the ones i'm pretty sure Shown again in '93 or something like that on BBC Two. I think that's where I first saw it. I thought, oh, okay, this is probably my first way apart from the Five Doctors, uh, and I thought it was really good. Um, again, the sound is really, um, really done up on this in in five point one, and also the theme music is really, really crystal clear yeah. um, version of it. Uh, so yeah, no, this is a good one. I like this one
1: yeah it's belting and Roger Delgado in the absolute it's just every, every it's just one of those coinc, not coincidences one of those times where everything just comes together I mean and Roger Delgado summoning the devil is just fantastic the end of episode one and then every and when he starts to summon the devil like the whole which is really hard to do he's just <laughs> sort of, you know he just has to babble kind of you know Latin backwards and it's like actually there's really you, you have to conjure that you know speak the devil's name and he shall appear is to believe you know like he, he kind of does that he's just astonishing in it and just and just also when he turns up as the master as the new vicar couldn't be funny i mean that's yes actually and that the, i thought that was very well written
2: as well I, I think in terms of um do all these things for me and you will have lots of power and stuff like this hmm well, that's trying to say about the world
1: yeah, um, it, it's, it, and the story's so tight. like every, every you want, just watch episode one, everything makes complete sense. Characters bump bump into the other and then go off and do something, and it all totally makes sense. It's, there's no fat on it. It's, and of course, it's got Damaris Heyman in it, who is the best guest star who ever <laughs> appeared in Doctor Who. <laughs> now listen to me. Uh, <laughs> you might be right. <laughs>
0: and, and you met a couple of years ago, Conrad. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I was um, we uh, um, at the uh, yeah. village where it's filmed. And Dave, there's a, a group of people called Who's at the Playhouse, and they do events every year or two when there's not global pandemics on. Uh, where you, yeah, he gets some of the stars down there, and you can go around. You have a drink in the in the Bluebore pub, which yes is the uh, Cloven Hoof, and uh, yeah, and we have one of the best days ever. In fact, it's probably just worth sticking that whole <laughs> podcast because we did a podcast to Trap One there. So me, James, and Simon. Uh, we actually sat in the cloven hoof, had a pint, and discussed our day with Damaris Hayman and Bessie and all that. Did you uh, blow up the church as well? No, we didn't. No, we didn't. Okay. It was looking a bit too okay. pretty. I know. That was a yeah. bit of a shame. But it was quite... We did, however, manage to take a wonderful photograph of James and Bessie, Simon sort of standing there with the unit boys, and I, I managed to sit next to Damaris Hayman in a bock pose, cross-legged, you know, no. with my... Under my chin and she was making a symbol with her hands she's 90 it was her 90th birthday everything was kind of magic that weekend and she was awarding and someone asked her to ward off the rain with a sort of with a special hand signal witchy hand signal which she did because she's damarious and she's amazing they're doing another one this year on June yes I'm going are you going yeah yeah Return so, to Devil's End podcast flashcast coming from Colin Very well, come soon. come along come along um, amazing yeah, did you see that clip that Matt Lucas posted of her Mm. A while
2: back, no. I can't. I have no idea what it was, but she was there, and she was in in her room or something, being interviewed, and the phone rings, and she just picks up the phone and goes, "Fuck off!" Yeah. The phone down.
1: Unbelievable.
2: <laughs> it, it's it's very atmospheric with uh, with that the the green, the the May dance, the sort of you know uh, all all, and they, they sort of nicely touch on all these sort of. Pagan and religious and pieces around control and belief, um, uh, which I think was—it's—it's uh, it's not as—I don't think it's as successful as the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit, which really gets the Doctor to go, "Oh my God, is this for real?" Whereas you know Pertwee's, well, you know, obviously this is science, you know. So, uh, but it's—it's it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I try—you I, know—I do try and sort of you know, delete received wisdom where I can. Right. And mm-hmm. just sort of, but, yeah. uh, and I approached it of, you know, um, the very enjoyable. Um, well, also, it was one of the unit guards, the unit people trying to get through the energy barrier called Osgood. Yes. Yeah, yes. Okay. There is an I'm Osgood there. In. I had not noticed that before.
1: So that's pleasing.
0: Yeah. With that the same, pleasing. same yes. glasses and everything. Um, it's I think How, uh, they hinted yeah. it in one of the unit big finish box oh, sets is um, it's hinted Pardon. at but they, they sort of don't come down either side of it but I assume the intention from from Stephen Moffat in creating the character is, is as a link there um, yeah, that's incredibly she's,
2: cool. yeah she's she's travelled back through time uh, delight uh, had become her own grandmother had him yeah all that kind of Yeah, the, the Moffat way of, of doing things yeah um, <laughs> But no, I like that touch.
0: But I, yeah, I, I do like the way the story subverts. Uh, so it is, you know, it, it's all science. There's no such thing as magic. But we see um, Miss Hawthorne um, cast a spell and stop the uh, it's the, the the guy from stoving ahead him with, mm. with a brick and stuff. And she makes the wind die down and everything. So it's it is still there, isn't it? It's the doctor or, or nobody around him witnesses that uh, for him yeah. to have to provide a scientific explanation for it. It's like Graham in the new series being the only person who can see ghosts at the end of
1: the story. It's fabulous. It's it's nice to live. Because it's always saying science, but we're not turning up to watch a science program. We're Mm -hmm. turning up to watch a science fantasy program. So Mm -hmm. you want all that magic. And and so so I think it's a really good good, good point, Colin, about not wanting to have received wisdom. I think it's, you know, we all kind of want to avoid that. It's also important not to go too far against that because like received wisdom is Genesis of the Daleks and the Demons are like all-time Doctor Who greats well that's because they're extremely good you know it's like there's not it doesn't make it untrue that it's a sort of popular opinion but it is good to to check yourself and go am yeah. I just loving this because it's loved and I think yeah. you can watch the demons and it's objectively excellent yes. there's no there's no although I have to say it's a friend of the podcast Cy Hart yes he okay. is less keen on the demons and he is actually much more in favor of colony and space so other opinions are available <laughs> uh, they're just not correct oh I'll let you have that <laughs> out with him another time. but also, also this is like um, we we're talking about some stories here where that, like Mind of Evil or Colin in Space that weren't really written for the team or, or they had not quite got there yet, this is like the culmination of everything Barry Letts and Terrence sticks are doing and and it's e- even to the point where the character, each character really gets gets something to do and it sort of starts, it's like a perfect kind of marriage where the character starting to he brings out in the actors what they bring out in the characters. So just as an example at the end, uh, you know, uh, Mike Yates goes, fancy a dance, being a little bit fruity and a little bit cheeky, as we know Richard Franklin is. And and, uh, and then the Briggs like, no, no, thanks, I'd rather have a pint. You're like, oh, is this Nicholas Courtney and Richard Franklin here? Or is this, you know, the, the lovability of these characters is, is really, and just what they can do. It's, it's well, I nearly said it, it's perfection
0: after the bleakness of the mind of evil and colony in space, um, you know, cause you've got some, some like um, colony in space where you've got the projection of the future on Earth as being horrifically grim and and uh, you know such a polluted world and everybody living on top of each other. Um, this is just such a warm hug of a story, isn't it? Um, that, I think that's that's what's nice to round out the series with. Um the master finally captured as well uh it's 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 a great series finale which uh, they didn't really do them, but it yeah 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 it it is that you know in a way
1: but it's it's', it's so packed with detail and it's so funny and so intro like you' saying the uh the b b c three well, you know that was a joke at the time, but you know, you know, you know, the, the opening of uh, of the dig, which is there's this other little extra on there, um, an old uh, black and white program called Chronicle, which was basically about the opening of that dig, about an archaeological dig from 1968. Magnus Magnus is standing going, "I'm here outside yeah. the archaeological dig," and you're like, "Oh, this is where this came oh, from." Right. So yeah, it's literally where that came from. It was a spoof of a real archaeological <laughs> dig that happened. Sil- Silbury Dig so I didn't know that so thank you extras
0: ah, um, is but it's really fun it?
1: also I, lo- I mean just the character the, char- the writing for character is off the chart when the old the old guy I can't remember his name who's opening up the dig and there's lots of interplay with him and then the slick BBC London effete <laughs> people carrying clipboards they're like would you care to elaborate No. Nope. <laughs> it's just like fun, and you know if you do this it'd be absolutely super and he goes all right I'll make sure. make sure I'll be absolutely super and he's just totally I mean it's delightful it's oh God it's so good
0: yeah he says um what's beltane he said we haven't done any research for this <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: it's so funny it's so funny and and, and so, yeah everybody gets loads to do Benton gets loads of action and yeah so to speak so to speak I love that and of course he was on so with the Exodus as well they do the return to Devil's End and I love it John Levine um, sort of says his first comment is that's a hell of a church and I'm like that is a sentence that is a sentence for this story
0: uh, I'd never seen the uh, Living with Levine um, where Toby Haydock goes to stay with him because it was on the Clause of Axos special edition uh, right. which I, I I didn't get when it came out. I think I couldn't afford it at the time, but I just had the, the original edition of it, so I'd never ever seen it. So that, that was a treat to get to see that as well. Um, That's a bracing watch. So, yeah, yeah. How did you find that? It's uncomfortable at times, isn't it?
1: Um, yeah. yeah. Have you seen this, Colin? You're looking... No, I haven't. No. I, I
2: feel like watching bonus material from... 10 to 15 years ago is kind of weird because it's like wait hang on it's 50 years since this came out i know <laughs> yeah i'm not but uh, yeah no i don't think i want to
0: watch it really the, the matthew waterhouse one is a bit warmer isn't it i feel yeah toby haydock this one is who i mean I really like toby haydock stuff
1: he's brilliant mm. he is brilliant I, th- I, th- I, you know, I'm going to put it out there. It is this when at the uh, Who's at the Playhouse thing, uh, John Levine was there. You know, you basically, you know, you walked around and you, to each point of the square or whatever, and there'd be a different Who person talking stuff. And we talked to John Levine, and it's um, you know, he's, there's no secret. I think he's had quite a troubled life, and he's had mm. quite a lot of trouble dealing with the fact that there's there was this mad spike of sort of huge fame and success in a in a short way, which then vanished and sort of goes away. That's very hard, and, and and a lot of life is. I think he's he's had a tough time of it, and I think he's he and, and he. I think he has a tough time dealing with it, and mm. so often he seems to try and overcompensate by leaning a bit to trying to be too show busy when actually you just want him to be him. But I mean, that's all very very easy to say, but yeah, it, that Living Levine documentary is quite uncomfortable. But it's not all you know. Like you know, it's not all sort of like people who've made it and have reconciled their lives to it all and you know it's kind of real life and that's sometimes kind of uncomfortable.
0: Mm.
1: But he's great and he gets tons to do. And it's really funny in the uh what I love the little film trims of locate on location film trims that the villagers had made on their eight millimeter cameras and they're all there with sunglasses because in the 70s you have to have sunglasses if you're filming yes. um and every time the camera's on him, he's so excited pointing his gun to the camera and giving cheesy grins and he's loving it clearly they clearly so yeah. the time they had on this really comes through the
0: screen like what a good time they had and and i think you get that as well from from interviews with with other members of the cast that that really tight family breaking up effectively it was hard for everybody uh, John Pertwee took it hard obviously um, after Roger Delgado's death and Katie Manny leaving the series um, you know there's, there's talks of him being quite tearful when yeah. Sladen first joined um, and you know everyone's been through stuff like that isn't it where you, you're in a sort of a, a tight-knit group and then everyone's supporting each other and it, it's fantastic and then it, it can be hard hard to say goodbye at the end of it yeah um, and, and you know there's Fewer and fewer of these people are still around as well as, as time goes on, which is, uh, which is hard. That's true. I was going to say, should we talk about the extras? Yeah. Yeah, the, the Katie uh, Manning interview um, yeah. is another brilliant... Like Matthew Sweet is just the perfect person for these. These people have been interviewed so many times, and you've seen them on so many convention panels, but he minds... Such new anecdotes and information out of people—they're they're absolutely essential. Yeah, he's
2: excellent, and she's on, she's completely on fire as well, right? She's yeah. full of beans, uh, going for it, talking about everything. Uh, yeah, it was interesting. I think it flew by. It really flew by when I was
1: watching it. It's like a ninety-minute interview. Boom, done. Yeah, they've all been excellent so far. He he has an unwritten rule, he has to do all the interviews on all of the box heads. That's just the law now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And he has a Terence Dix documentary as well.
0: Yeah. That seems like,
1: that, that like the big yeah, one. Yeah. That would that is I think the the, the, the flagship one for
2: this. Um, yeah, no, just just spot on, like the way Frank's gonna get all the writers together, uh, talks about them, and then just the um, the final moments where he goes and knocks on the door of the house down the street which he never had the sort of guts to do at the time um, and then goes in into Terence's study uh, which just fascinating mm-hmm. just like you know VHS copies of the X-Files and things and just all stacked up weirdly uh, and, and that list of things on the, on the like, list of things he'd given mm-hmm. himself Uh, uh, And I've actually just I've just done a list For myself actually uh, Which someone else suggested last night Which is You know You you know What's your self-help list You know Things that make you happy Have a bath Watch some 70s Doctor Who Go for a walk Listen to some music Just have it all on tap Have it right in front of you Uh, I just thought That's um, just a nice thing That they showed That's a really sort of um, Good tactic for getting through stuff.
0: Lovely, really lovely, and 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 they lived they lived there from, since the early seventies. So that was where a lot of this era was written. Uh, you know, the, the the five doctors, probably all the, all if not most of the Target books were written in that room. Um, just steeped in history. Yeah, fantastic that it was all still there. Um, and I think Frank Skinner's a brilliant host as well I, I mean I'm big Frank Skinner fan I, I've read, um, he's got sort of three volumes of autobiography which are all really really funny and uh, I listen to the podcast of his radio show every week um, and he's been fully following, following that over the last few years talking about Doctor Who and loving it through to getting a part in Doctor Who and, and all the sort of stuff surrounding that because um, uh, he was somebody had Texted in the show and talked about this and he was talking about his career went from sort of stand-up to being on TV a lot to being on radio to now doing sort of DVD extras. Um, but he's, he's kind of brilliantly self-deprecating as well. I remember when when he was on Mummy on the Orient Express and he, his favorite review of it was uh, Frank Skinner plays Frank Skinner in a hat. Uh, <laughs> 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 which was, which was uh, yeah, brilliant. And on his radio show when, when Terence Sticks was, was still alive, he used to talk about living on the same road. And I think his wife had done some sort of like treasure hunt in the house for his birthday <laughs> or something. And one of the clues had been inside his copy of The Five Doctors, I think it was. And it was something like, um, by our neighbour's hand, and then the rest of the clue. So It was like written by Terence Sticks, and that was how he found it. So it was like it meant something to him, living near uh, Terrence Sticks. Um, and then... Just yesterday, I think Chris Chapman um, tweeted a picture of an interview that was in Doctor Who magazine, where Terence Dix had been talking about meeting Frank Skinner, who had said he was a fan and and you know enjoyed conversation with him, which was just a nice sort of footnote to that documentary. I thought as well that they were aware of each other's work and uh, uh, and appreciated each other, but you know the, the sad thing was that they you never quite I'd say had the nerve to, to knock on the door and uh, and have a conversation with him
1: yeah it was, it was it was it was so good and i have to like i've never particularly been a frank skinner fan i don't know much about him like i think i first came wherever in the 90s always on things talking about football so yeah, i kind of yeah. just parked him tuned out a, yeah yeah i just tuned out so i didn't know he was never i never particularly saw his comedy or anything so i didn't really have any kind of knowledge of him he is excellent mm. excellent in this as a presenter and someone who knows about Doctor who and clearly loves it. I was like, actually, I'd really like you to be on loads more. Um, I thought he was brilliant. Mm -hmm. That moment where he's outside um, Terence Dix's sort of study, wondering, and he just lists all, he goes, this is where the target books are written, and he's listing off. And just for a moment, you can see, I was just like, you're just a geek. Like you yeah. forget that he's just, he's somebody famous or a comedian or a presenter. He's just purely goes back to that geek self. And I was like, yeah, you're, you're one of us. He, I would love to any, he, but he's brilliant. He, you know, he knows how to talk to people. He's not faced by showbiz stuff. He's it's lovely him sitting on the table with uh, writers talking about how turn sticks influenced them with an amazing anecdote from, particularly from Rob Sherman. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we love him. Which we're so lucky. Thank I'm going to be really mean now. So sorry, everybody. Um, I really love these extras, and uh, this one absolutely superb. I am—I'm um, just going to—I'm going to be mean. I would like a little bit less sentimentality in some of them. I'm finding a lot of the we've, we've seen quite a lot now, and there's some of them are have you in bits. The Sarah Jane one, I was like in inconsolable, in console of floods of tears, and um, obviously a lot of people have passed away. So this and and this one is perfectly perfectly pitched, but I'm finding it's coming in quite in quite a lot of them now. There's a lot of sort of um, just very long, very very nostalgic, very um, you know lots of sort of bake yeah. off music and close up of leaves and I'm I like was just going to say exactly it's, and, and that. Yeah. It's, it's great for some things but but I don't always want to see everything through this, this sort of very very nostalgic rose tinted wistful way and like Chris Chapman is a brilliant really brilliant producer the stuff he's made and directed it has been superb but I think it would be a nice challenge to start seeing some different types of stories and different types of way of tone. telling it but mm, yeah. different types of tone because sometimes and for me in, in the devil it, it was more in the devil's uh, uh devil's end weekend there was a lot of kind of nostalgic and st- stuff which is fine fine for a little while but after half an hour it becomes a bit like drinking treacle and i'm a bit like this is getting a little too like there's a limit to how long i can sit there wistfully going with a tear in my eye i just think yeah. that sometimes that needs tightening a bit that's, I think there's a criticism. Really, so That's me being mean. No, I don't think you're being mean. I think it's, that's you know,
2: you're a viewer, you're a purchaser of these of these box sets. I think um, it's a, 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 so. I thought exactly the same thing when the documentary started. It was uh, cue piano music and filmed through some trees, uh, and that's okay. But I, I think you know, let, let's you know, the the if they do season twenty with this rumored road trip, which is just going to be <laughs> yeah, insane. <laughs> It's, there's going to be a, like a trumpet and a trumpet and a banjo instead. So yeah, different
0: style. But yeah, um, Janet Fielding bitching at Peter Davison driving across Germany or something. So will be a, an, an antidote to the, <laughs> the schmaltz. Probably, huh? there you go.
1: <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yeah, but that's a little. It's because you know, you know the range is. There's room for it to grow. I just want to see more. It's also good. I just want to see more, and I want to see as. I'm sort of greedy for it, really. And th- um, somewhere between this and the next box set, we're a third of the way through these collections being released. Wow. Um, if, if, they mean, were, if, yeah. if they were... if let's let's say they were to do a box set to represent the Eighth Doctor and Wilton Sears or something that would be 27 and the next one coming out is nine so my masses, is that's a third mm. so like we're a third of the way through which is amazing okay it seems to have gone really quickly now
0: mm. um, yeah even with this this 12 month gap they, they feel still feel like quite a new thing don't they but they've been on the go for a few years yeah. haven't
1: they um, but again, we're, we're, just, we're just spoiled, really, really spoiled. And we've always got this now, so any anytime you want to watch a Perwey story, you've got these nice clean mixes and,
0: yeah, good extras and stuff. Definitely. And then uh, I guess the last, uh, the last big extra on these is the direct route. Yeah, Top Gear for um, directors. <laughs> uh, that was nice. That was really nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they've got uh, writers together, haven't they? And they, they've had actors together, but I don't think they've brought uh, different directors from across different stories in the same season together. So it was a nice idea for them to compare notes and, and revisit some of the locations.
2: Yeah, I found um, Michael Ferguson really interesting. He was always he always had something interesting to say. I've never really seen him in anything <coughs> or else. You know, Graham Harper, I've seen a ton of stuff. Uh, interviews with him and I think he's excellent Um, but it was just yeah really nice how they decided to use you know this part of the building instead of this part of the building because it looks more like an entrance and uh, how they're setting it all up and um, how things have changed like Mm. the 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 colony in space quarry is now a bit more of a lake with plant life and stuff yeah and this
0: is one of the same guys who's still working there. I think that's fantastic. Oh, the, yeah. uh, the guy that set the explosion. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> He's probably just had that anecdote for, for the last like, 40 years. <laughs> well someone interview me for God's
1: sake. It was like in the Demons one, they took they took Bessie into the garage where it, you know, the, the where it was filmed the first few scenes, the science magic stuff was filmed. And they're like, oh, and this is where we built you know, we winch up Bessie to fix it. It was exactly the same contraption you know 50 years old it's like no this is the same you know car winch thing we've used for 50 years it's like this program is crazy yeah and, oh, and also worth saying the um i love seeing that um sorry just hopping back to demons briefly um the um alistair fergus the character the character of the present the bbc3 presenter being played by david simeon they got him back in reporting with a microphone 50 years later he's like this is this program driving arts brilliant so yeah, it we was really spoiled for choice on this box. I think they've, they've, well, what they've not, I think, like I said, I think a lot of the work went into restoration and stuff. So perhaps some of the extras might not be quite as many as usual, but the big piece is brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then, and I would say again, it's worth digging out those little DVD ones you've not seen. I think there's, there's temptation just to go in, skim off the new stuff and, and hightail it. But a lot of this stuff in here is really good. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lovely one, um, a little interview with Peter Day, the visual, visual effects guy from The Demons. Just like a little 10-minute thing. Absolutely fascinating. Things I didn't know about the effects on The Demons, which is so ingenious. and um, Brilliant. So do you dig the, the existing special features as well, I think.
0: The Demons is, is great for that. It's not one of those ones with embarrassing effects that you wouldn't want a non-fantasy is it it's it's really strong like the church explosion at the end because the story around that was that people were writing to complain or something that um, they thought Doctor had blown up an actual (laughs) church for the finale
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it there's so many on this actually on this season generally the model work is pretty excellent Mm. like there's some stunning stunning effects in model work and visual effects in this series it's really exciting
0: yeah like the missile in um uh, the mind of evil. Other than the when they're clearly standing yeah, the in front of one. a photograph, <laughs> but it's it's uh, yeah, it's, it looks like a huge piece of hardware that they've uh, they've put together. It's the real isn't thing. That's that.
1: Is not no, I mean that miss? That's that a real missile. What yeah. is it? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Got the, there's, there's pictures of in the photo. Actually, that's another thing. The production photos. I love the photo galleries. Are always worth going through as well because you see such beautiful photographs in there. Oh, a went great down on this. You really. Do. Oh, I love it. Oh, I always, I always, I know. Don't skip my photo galleries. I love, them. I <laughs> love a photo gallery. Apart from, they often try and overlay it with music from the. Yeah, uh, music. <laughs> now like raw music from this series. Often you find yourself watching a series of pictures with this weird electronic music blaring at you, and you feel like I'm getting mad. Um, but yeah, there's um, there's lovely pictures because they got the RAF in, and there's pictures of Pertwee with all these RAF people and a, and a missile standing uh, proud on the, on the missile, looking all kind of very Pertwish and loving it in his in his element. But yeah, real missiles and the hangar and stuff is great. Loads of good stuff. A visually really exciting series.
0: Brilliant. Well thank you. I love podcasting with you guys. That was likewise. <laughs> that was an absolute pleasure. I will put links in the show notes where we can find you on Twitter. Thank you very much you. for listening at home and goodbye. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Bye.